I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, January 12th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show... Leaders from the Legislative Black Caucus present their policy priorities on a major deadline day. Then the attorney general is asking the Supreme Court not to take up a disenfranchisement case. We speak to one of the lawyers fighting to restore voting rights. Plus, a recent NFL injury is sparking interest in CPR training. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi ranks last or close to last in almost every leading health outcome. That is not good. That's Senator Angela Turner-Ford speaking in the Capitol Rotunda yesterday. The chair of the Legislative Black Caucus presented their policy priorities on deadline day for general bills and amendments. The caucus has a wide variety of issues it would like the legislature to address, but the state's health disparities and struggling hospital system remain a key item for lawmakers like Turner-Ford. With the highest infant mortality rate in the nation, the worst overall ranking in the nation for the care of infants and children, and many of our rural hospitals facing closure or limited services, now is the time to act. We support the expansion of Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. Let's be clear. MPB's Kobe Vance was at the Capitol yesterday and talked to Senator Turner Ford about what the caucus hopes to accomplish this session. We're really looking at education, um, the expansion of Medicaid. We want to make sure that um, high-speed Internet is available in every home. And we also want to make sure that government spending is equitable according to the communities in which we live. What would be your message to Mississippians right now as we're having our deadline day today and we're looking ahead at some of the bills that have been filed? Anything that they should be watching? Well, I I think they should watch um, watch us as we deliberate and navigate the committee process. Our committee meetings, most of them are live streamed and they're welcome to look at those. But hopefully, you know, the bills that we file that are supportive of the policies that we would like to see will be debated in committee. And uh, we will only know once those meetings are held. What do you think are going to be some of the challenges this year going through the session? You think it's going to be hard to get things passed whenever the Republicans are looking at tighter budgets? Uh, It's it's going to be difficult, but this is not the first time. So um, that doesn't mean that the work doesn't continue. It's just, of course, the leadership, um, committee chairs set the agenda, and we won't know what those items are until we 
participate in those meetings. You mentioned earlier Medicaid expansion is one of y'all's policy priorities. Can you talk about what that would look like for Mississippians? Well, what we would propose is that the eligibility criteria would be enlarged or increased. And um, the, the goal would be to actually help those working people who are exerting themselves every day. You know, they're, they're, they have problems with ends meeting. And um, the working pool will be provided insurance. And that's, that's how we envision the process looking. There's word from the Senate side that they're going to be pushing, uh, the Republicans are going to be pushing for postpartum Medicaid extensions. Do you think that's something that could benefit Mississippians, or do you think that's not far enough? Absolutely. I, I don't think it's far enough. Um, that's actually a, a charge that we championed as early as 2019. And um, certainly we want to see Medicaid expanded for um, postpartum women to up to 12 months. And hopefully that's not all they're offering. Anything else that you'd like to share with Mississippians about this ongoing legislative session that they should be you know, paying attention to and potentially calling their local lawmakers about? Well, we just don't want more of the same. Um, we want to see these policies that are progressive given a close look. Um, let's actually debate Medicaid. That has not happened. Um, in terms of the, um, the infrastructure issues, the clean water, if we need to help Jackson, then by all means, that's what we should do. But um, it's, there are just certain basic services that government should provide, and that's what we're calling on to occur. Democratic lawmakers have filed legislation to provide financial support to Mississippi hospitals and health care systems. Rural hospitals have been especially affected in recent years. But Senator Sally Norwood of Jackson says hospital services in more populated areas are also being reduced. Right now, Mississippi is, is actually starving uh, for lack of Medicare, uh, med- medical care because we have, you know, hospitals are closing, individuals having to drive all across the, the state. I mean, not just here, not in the, not just in the rural. You have hospital, or I guess services, that's being decreased in, in the uh, metro area because of lack of uh, physicians um, uh, that, you know, that service, service that particular area or that particular health challenge. So, and the more money that we have available uh, to help employ, and make these services the healthier. And you're talking about economic, uh, it's an economic development issue, it's a quality of life issue, it's an employment issue. All, it all comes in if we can just, with a healthy, a healthy community, means a healthy workforce and everything. So it's not, it's a win-win all the way around. Senator Sally Norwood is a Democrat representing Jackson. Coming up, the attorney general is asking the Supreme Court not to take up a disenfranchisement case. We speak to one of the lawyers fighting to restore voting rights. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Mississippi's Attorney General is asking the Supreme Court to deny an appeal to hear a case centered on the state's disenfranchisement provisions. Last week, 
Lynn Fitch filed a brief in opposition to the court hearing the 2017 case Harness versus Watson. Paloma Wu is an attorney with the Mississippi Center for Justice, the organization representing the two plaintiffs. She shares more on the history of the case and responds to the AG's opposition to the appeal. Mississippi Center for Justice filed the Harness case in 2017 to challenge a provision in Mississippi's constitution that permanently takes the right to vote away from people who have been convicted of certain crimes. So it challenges the 1890 list um, that disqualifies people from voting for being convicted of bribery, theft, arson, obtaining money or goods under false pretense, perjury, forgery, embezzlement, and bigamy. Um, It does not challenge the um, taking away of the right to vote by people who were convicted of murder and rape because that provision was only added in 1968, whereas the other list was adopted to ban people for life um, from voting in in the 1890 Constitution originally. And this case uh, has kind of uh, gone through the, 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 the process. The Fifth Circuit kind of upheld uh, the, the constitutional provision. Uh, what has been the response uh, in, the, in the appeal when, when the appeal was filed? Uh, what is, the, the, what is in Mississippi Center for Justice asking the Supreme Court to consider um, based on the, the Fifth Circuit's ruling? So the Mississippi Center for Justice has filed a cert petition asking the Supreme Court to review the challenge that we brought to the felon disenfranchisement provision. Um, And that's on the basis that, um, you know, seven of the Fifth Circuit justices, including several conservative justices, dissented um, to the Fifth Circuit's decision to uphold the provision. Um, and, uh, you know, we believe that the United States Supreme Court um, could very well agree with those seven dissenting judges. The final vote was 10 to 7. And we're essentially um, saying that the original provision in the 1890 Constitution violates um, the equal protection uh, guarantee in the federal Constitution that you're not supposed to take the right to vote away from people on the basis of race. And um, everybody in this litigation agreed. The justices in the Fifth Circuit that did and didn't uh, rule in our favor, us and the state, everybody agrees that this 1890 provision that takes people's right to vote away was adopted for the purpose of targeting African-Americans. Um, there are a lot of quotes that you can pull out, but, you know, the delegates of the 1890 Constitution told everybody that um, African-Americans who recently got the right to vote shouldn't have this, quote, dangerous power of suffrage. Um, they created a committee in the 1890 Constitutional Convention specifically designed to um, find ways to take the right to vote from African-Americans without using the word black. Um, so that's where you got the poll tax, the understanding clause, the literacy um, clause. And all of the m- many of those were strike, struck down, you know, during the civil rights era. Um, and this last felon disenfranchisement provision remains, um, even though all the same evidence um, makes it clear to everybody involved in the litigation that it was racially discriminatory when it was adopted. What we are asking the Supreme Court to revisit is whether or not the 
um, addition of murder and rape to this list cleansed the discriminatory um, purpose of the original list of crimes, which is the ones we're trying to strike down. So that's what we're asking the Supreme Court to revisit. And that's what the en banc um, justices uh, disagreed on 10-7. Um, we lost, but 10 justices um, upheld the lower courts and seven said that it's wrong to say that the addition of murder and rape um, makes this provision, which everybody agrees was racially discriminatory and intended to target African-Americans to take their right to vote away, um, uh, you know, makes it now all of a sudden not racially discriminatory, <laughs> like it's a time machine. They, they disagree whether a time machine um, moment happened in um, in uh, 1968 when um, Mississippi added murder and rape, and it all of a sudden made the original provision not racially discriminatory when everybody agrees that it was. Right. And and the uh, Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Fitch has, has filed, uh, last week filed, a, uh, a brief in opposition uh, for the Supreme Court to take up this case. Um, and, and using kind of similar language that the that those changes in the 50s and 60s purged any taint um, from the original 1980 provision. So I guess this last part is kind of your reaction um, that, that the that the Mississippi Attorney General uh, is kind of in stepping in and, and asking the court not to not to take up this case. So the state of Mississippi is taking a technical position about why the U.S. Supreme Court should not take a second look at this. Um, the technical position is that they're saying that the addition of murder and rape cleansed the discriminatory taint from this original provision. That's a technical legal argument that they're making. The fact that they are fighting so hard to keep on the books in our constitution, a provision that everyone agrees was racially discriminatory when it was adopted, um, is not only uh, we think violates the constitutional rights of people who have been banned for life from the polls because of this provision, but it also, I think, um, goes, you know, creates a, a moral problem for the rest of Mississippi, even the people who aren't convicted um, of these crimes, because we know that democracy depends on everybody who's involved and quali- otherwise qualified to vote has a say, and that's how government runs best, is if democracy is working. Um, this is fundamentally anti-democratic, and the state of Mississippi shouldn't be involved in spending so many resources to um, do what the, the, the framers of the 1890 Constitution said they really hoped to do, which was, um, you know, I think, I think, I, I mean, a, a quote, a, a good quote, I'm just going to pull one out is, mm-hmm. you know, a delegate from the 1890 Constitution, um, the president, S. Calhoun of the 1890 Constitutional Convention. And I, I'm going to, this is a quote from him explaining what they're doing. Negro suffrage is an evil, and an evil to both races. Its necessary outcome is that conflicting aspirations and apprehensions must produce continual jars and frequent hostile collisions, which do not occur with homogeneous races. It has been tried for over 20 years, and only heartburnings and violence are said to have resulted. It basically says to cure the evil of Negro suffrage, we have to do everything we can to take the right to vote away. And 
the state of Mississippi is trying to protect the provisions that were created out of this convention, which was to, quote, cure the evil of Negro suffrage. So in our opinion, not only does it violate the constitutional rights of people who have been had their right taken right to vote taken away for life, but it really violates the values of Mississippians who do not want to be associated with, you know, the the shameful um, uh, intent that everybody agrees um, it was behind this provision in the first place. All right. We'll leave it there. Paloma Wu, attorney with the Mississippi Center for Justice. Thank you so much for taking some time with us this morning. Thank you for, for, for talking today. Coming up, a recent NFL injury is sparking interest in CPR training. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Damar Hamlin's collapse on national TV a week ago and the swift action of medical personnel has highlighted the importance of CPR. In fact, a new policy now allows 911 operators in the state to give detailed CPR instructions over the phone. Jennifer Hopping is executive director of the American Heart Association in Mississippi. She shares more on how Hamlin's injury and treatment have elevated the significance of CPR. Of course, last week's um, issue that happened with DeMar Hamlin has brought so much awareness to CPR, which we are um, thankful for because it's a message that we've been trying to spread for many years. Um, we really press the importance of bystander CPR and just knowing what to do in the case of an emergency. Um, about 356,000 cardiac arrests happen annually in the United States. And almost 90% of them are fatal. And so what we know is the faster that CPR can be administered to those patients, the better chance of their survival. Gotcha. And talk to me a little bit about what maybe the process of training for someone for CPR might look like. What are maybe some misconceptions that someone not trained in this way might try to implement when using CPR that training really helps them learn about? Absolutely. So we know that practice um, will obviously help in the case of emergencies. Um, We really, our goal is to have individuals trained in what we refer to as hands-only CPR. Uh, We as an organization based on science have um, really identified that if people will perform chest compressions quickly once they activate 911 in the case of an emergency, um, then that will be what is needed to help the patient survive before um, emergency personnel can get there. And so what we want to do is just teach people, individual bystanders, to know exactly what to do in that case. Um, We also work with local businesses, local um, schools. We have a policy in Mississippi to train high school students um, CPR before they graduate. And really the goal there is just to have as many people as we know 
um, knowing what to do in case of an emergency so they can take action quickly. That's really the key of what saves lives. Around how many people in the state will need some kind of CPR or at the very least could have benefited from some kind of CPR implementation? Absolutely. So um, anyone that has a a cardiac arrest out of the hospital, um, like I said, their chance of uh, dying from that is 90%. Um, so what we know is that 70% of these events happen at home, and so the odds of you having to perform CPR in someone you love are very high, and so the last thing you would ever want is to not know what to do if that case did happen. Um, and so really what we know is just the more people that we have trained, the better chance that they will survive. Um, we also have great programs in place. Uh, we just passed policy uh, around telecommunicator CPR in Mississippi, and um, what that is is that when you call 911, now, because of this policy, you are guaranteed to, be, to receive um, information from that person that answers the phone on how to perform CPR. Because we know that that will increase the likelihood of survival by 51%. So it's really amazing what can happen if we've got bystanders um, being talked through in that emergency when they might be panicked a little bit. Um, that dispatcher can talk them through the steps of what to do before the paramedics arrive on site. Great. And do you have any data on how this new implementation has helped at all? Well, it just happened, actually, just a few weeks ago. And so what we're hopeful for is that we will gather that information um, as time goes on. This is a process that we have been working on for um, actually a couple of years because, like I said, we know that survival increases by half. So, like, um, half of the people will survive if they receive CPR um, immediately. And so what we're hopeful is that we'll see similar numbers and, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll gather that information as we go forward. Is there a state that maybe serves as a example? Is there a different part of the country that's already implemented this that maybe we can see what kind of success they've had? Um, yes, yeah, so we, um, it's taken us a while, as I said, to get this passed, but we're thankful that uh, we had support that we were able to do that recently. Um, and what we, the reason that we've done that is because we have. We've seen in other states that survival rates have increased. Like I said, on average, about 51% increase in survival rates. Um, and so what we're hopeful is that we will mirror that here in Mississippi um, now that we have that in place. And we had the support of many people across the state to make this happen. Um, the Mississippi Board of Emergency Telecommunicators, and um, we worked with other partners um, because we know that this really does truly increase the chance of survival for cardiac arrest victims. Jennifer, is there anything that you'd like to let our listeners know that maybe I forgot to ask you today? Well, what I'll tell you, if you don't know CPR, then, um, you know, I encourage you to go to our website at heart.org. Um, you can search for hands-only CPR, and it will take you to wonderful videos that will literally walk you through exactly what to do. Um, also, there's classes um, across the state that you can attend if you'd like to be certified in CPR. You can also find that information on our website, and you search by your zip code to find a class. Um, I encourage everybody to have at least one person in your household to know what to do. It can take just a few minutes to learn this life-saving skills. And like I said, you never want to not know what to do if something happens to one of your loved ones or to someone that you're around. Um, And you can truly help save a life, as we saw last week, with fast-acting CPR. Jennifer Hopping, thank you so much for your time and for chatting with me about this today. Thank you so much for having us. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.